0: Today's program is part of a special series brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership, with funding provided by ACEs Aware. Together, we are working to raise awareness about the effects of adverse childhood experiences in hopes of building a healthier community and a brighter future for our children. Dr. B explains the importance of acknowledging our stressors of the past in order to thrive in the present. Plus, she shares practical tips for coping through challenging times and building greater resiliency so you and your family can enjoy a healthier and more fulfilling life. Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B. Where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity.
1: We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick?
0: Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out.
1: Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. Today, we begin a new series that's sponsored by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership to raise awareness about trauma and resilience. In today's episode, we're gonna be talking about transforming trauma into triumph. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you just want to know more about me, go to my website at www.drbconnections.com. Now let's get started. So the problem is that people have trauma and it, doesn't necessarily get talked about or resolved. And then that impacts people's lives over decades and really across the lifespan. So we're gonna kind of break that down through this series. And it really begins with a concept called ACEs. And what ACEs stand for is adverse childhood experiences. Now, I'm going to do a little background on this because it's the beginning of this podcast series and we're going to be talking about ACEs all the way through, so I want to know I want you to know where it begins and what it means. So, California has launched the ACEs Aware initiative. Our California Surgeon General, Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, brought a spotlight to childhood trauma and the impact on the body and the mind across the lifespan. She also, she did a very successful TED Talk and you should go check it out. She also wrote a book called The Deepest Well, which also highlights a lot of the research. So she's a pediatrician and a really amazing, insightful person. So we can thank her for activating this research and getting it into to really mobility in our state and what i believe will be our country and our world our one and only california surgeon general is committed to reducing adverse childhood experiences by 50% in one generation that's approximately 20 years maybe a little shy of 20 years this content will really become familiar and common to everyone so that we can learn to communicate heal, and protect children from the devastating consequences of untreated trauma. The ACEs Aware Initiative began with a landmark study by Vincent Felitti and Robert Anda in the 1990s. They were doctors. Well, Vince Felitti was a doctor at Kaiser Permanente. And this study revealed that childhood trauma actually has a significant impact on physical and emotional health not weeks later not months later not years later but decades after the trauma occurred so that's powerful information now how did they get to that where did it where did it all begin well it actually began with an obesity study so kaiser permanente has a weight a medical weight management program and back in the 1980s there were participants in the program, and they were successfully losing weight, but as they progressed through the program and started to lose more and more weight, the program had a high, high dropout rate. So participants also, as part of this program, provided detailed interviews about their childhood and the onset of their weight gain. So these interviews so interestingly revealed the counterintuitive relationship between abuse from childhood and its contribution to the person's present weight problem. And really cool was that participants spoke very openly about the relationship between abuse and their weight. So let's fast forward a decade into the 1990s where Felitti and Anda launched a much larger Kaiser Permanente Center for Disease Control study that actually compared adverse childhood experience scores, which we're going to talk more about how you get your adverse childhood experience score, but I don't want to take you down that rabbit hole quite yet, compared the adverse childhood experience scores of this middle-class, middle-aged American population who all had Kaiser Permanente HMO medical insurance in San Diego, California. And what they found was that the higher the ACE score that a person reported, the more often a person would visit the doctor, visit the pharmacist, or get prescription medications, visit the ER... There was also a very high correlation to depression, suicide, diabetes, high blood pressure, and many other health issues, including early death. Wow. Okay, so this is, we're on to something here. And initially, what's really interesting is that the medical community did not want to believe that traumatic events that impact people emotionally could possibly have an impact on people's physical health. But the reality is that we are one in the same. Our emotional health impacts our physical health. So intuitively, many people understand that we don't just get over childhood trauma. What we do is we deal with it, we accommodate it. However, our trauma also deals with us. It stays in our present mind, and sometimes it's buried deep in our unconscious mind. And it lives there across the lifespan, influencing all kinds of ailments, some of them easily seen and some of them completely unseen. So one that's easily seen would be weight gain or maybe substance misuse. Okay, so those are some things that we can see. Maybe it shows up in blood pressure or other medical tests, but sometimes it can be unseen and the way it presents is that a person who had early trauma maybe experiences life in the fast lane a little bit more. So they, per- they participate in more risky behavior, which then lands them in the ER on prescription drugs or potentially even early death because they are risk takers with sort of without the stop button. So since these original studies, there have been even more specific populations examined Better to understand the impact of trauma across the lifespan when other factors are included like race and gender and socioeconomic status. But we're going to talk about those later because right now we're just laying down the initial tracks of trying to understand what an adverse childhood experience is, how we measure it and go from there. So this is the beginning of this show, and it's jam-packed with information. Slowly but surely, we're going to unpack it together and get a sense of how ACEs affect our lives and what to do about it. I do want to make sure that we lead with resilience. Resilience means the ability to overcome adversity. And that's where the triumph comes in, in the title of Transforming Trauma into Triumph. So even amidst lots of trauma, people do strive and thrive. And in future episodes, we're going to talk about how to do this. So even amidst lots of trauma, people do strive to thrive. In future episodes, we're going to talk about how to do this and how parents can help their children do this. So parents and professional alike have a common language for how to build resilience from the beginning of life with children and families. So I'm gonna start with creating an image of three bubbles or three categories in your brain. So take a second, imagine that you have three bubbles in front of you, and this is what the 10 original ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences, They fall into three categories. So one is abuse, one is neglect, and one is family dysfunction. So under the abuse category, that's category one, we have three types of abuse. We have physical abuse, we have emotional abuse, and we have sexual abuse. So physical abuse is the obvious that somebody physically abuses a child or another person under the age of 18 emotional abuse is that i always i always think of this as when you see a picture of a child's face and then there's a billboard in my town and then there's words written all over the face that say worthless or ugly unkind mean just all sorts of negative words that That's emotional abuse. When somebody makes you feel like you are a terrible person and not worth existing. And then sexual abuse is any inappropriate sexual contact with an adult when you're under the age of 18. So that's one category, the abuse category. The second category is the neglect category. And that includes physical neglect and emotional neglect. Now, physical neglect means... That you don't have access to the daily needs of food, shelter, and the stuff that we need physically to keep us going and alive. So we're sort of scrambling at all times to get our physical needs met. Emotional neglect means that you're unseen. It, it literally means that nobody, it feels like nobody knows that you exist as a person, And that's really heavy because the thing about emotional neglect is that it makes us feel invisible. And if you're invisible, it's really difficult for other people to see that you're in pain, but it's also difficult to reach out to get support for that pain. That's the second category of neglect. Now, the third category is family dysfunction. So these are things that happen within your family that also equate to trauma or a traumatic experience. So the first one is divorce, and that equates to uh, and feelings of abandonment. No matter how well a divorce is handled, it is a separation and a loss, and it does feel like an abandonment for children. And for some children, it truly is an abandonment. And that's the divorce or loss of a parent. So whether the parent dies or the parent leaves it doesn't have to be a divorce from a marriage the next one is a mental illness of a family member so if if a family member has a severe mental illness or a significant mental illness major depressive disorder maybe they suffer from schizophrenia maybe they suffer from by being bipolar, there are a number of things that impact the relationship between a parent and a child or family members and children that are impacted by severe significant mental illness. The next one is substance misuse by a family member. And this can be alcohol, drugs, prescription drugs, street drugs, cannabis. It can be all kinds of, you know, whatever that substance misuse is, that changes the behavior and the emotional availability of a family member to a child in their family. The next one is a family member being imprisoned. It could be a sibling. It could be a parent, a grandparent, somebody in the the close family circle being imprisoned. And the last one is mother treated violently. So that's domestic violence. And watching somebody that you love and care about be harmed violently and not being able to support or help them is highly traumatic. But we, again, we'll talk more in depth about that down the road. So these are the top 10. These are the 10 ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences, I'm going to say it over and over again, that Felitti identified Felitti and anda identified at the time of this study. And in reality, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands, of variations of these 10 adverse childhood experiences. But we look at the way we look at them is by one incident per category. So a child or a person could report physical abuse. That physical abuse could have occurred one time in their childhood, or it could have occurred a thousand times in their childhood, and it still would only account for one on the adverse childhood experience screening. So what that means is, and why that's relevant, is because it indicates that there's a high Underrepresentation of trauma based on the screening. So we look at one incident per category, which means ACEs are underrepresented because if you only have one experience of physical abuse, you check one. But if you have a thousand, you still only check one. The scoring on the ACE screening is zero to ten. That's it. There is no option of one thousand so if all of these things happen to somebody multiple times we still only count them as one time which then tells us that aces are highly underrepresented timing is everything there's a reason people say that phrase what happens in infancy and early childhood will have a much more substantial impact long term than an incident that occurs later in life and can be explained and processed and understood not only by the self, but also by others. That's, that's another thing that's really important to understand that early childhood and infancy is called a critical period. It's a sacred time of life where so many things are happening neurobiologically that our lives, our, our brains are really being wired for the future wired for the way information travels in our mind. And so it's so important that we make sure that we protect this period of life so that children can use the information that they learn as they grow in the most effective ways. All right. So let's talk about the prevalence of adverse childhood experiences. ACEs are common. This is not some, remember the study group for this this particular study, the original study, was middle-class Americans in San Diego, California. They all had insurance. 67% of the this general population has at least one adverse childhood experience. Now, what... Okay, so they have one adverse childhood experience. How much could that really impact somebody's life? Well, it gets tricky because... Adverse childhood experiences are interrelated. They often don't happen in a vacuum or in isolation. They, if you have one adverse childhood experience, then you're 80% more likely to have a second one. And then you're even more likely to have a third one and possibly a fourth one, because think about it. If you have somebody in your family who physically abuses a person, and maybe they do that because they're misusing substances. And maybe they're misusing substances because they have an untreated, untreated mental illness. And that untreated mental illness and the abuse leads to also their mother being treated violently. You can see what I'm getting at. We're building one trauma on top of another trauma. So they really are interrelated. And they are very common and and prevalent in just the general population. So we're gonna shift gears now over to sort of the neuroscience behind adverse childhood experiences and how how we triumph over trauma. And I like to start with Maya Angelou, Angelou who says, when we know better, we do better. Okay, so that's true some of the time. It's not true all of the time. Sometimes we know better and we don't do any better at all, but let's go with it. What I would add is when we know better, we help each other do better. And I think this can be especially true for parents with past trauma. Remember, 67% of the general population report at least one adverse childhood experience. And with one, again, you're more likely to have a second one and so on. So ACEs are pervasive. I've spent my career studying trauma and resilience because I don't believe that we have to accept that our early adversity is our destiny. So I'm here to try to make things as evident as possible by weaving together the research from many studies that explain the human condition. I'm a resilience person. I believe in overcoming adversity. However, I also know that trauma is traumatizing and that it can have devastating effects that are lifelong. So I've walked my path on the road of trauma. It led me to resilience and I'm still learning how and why I do things the way I do this is normal. This is okay. This is something that we all need to make okay for everybody to do. Parents, I'm going to use that as a really broad, broad sense of the word because lots of people fall into the category of parents far beyond biology or genetics. Uh, But parents don't always know exactly what to do. But we do know that we want to do better for our children than usually was done for us. That's just such a common sense that people say to me all the time is that I want my children to have a better life than I did. I know this without question, that no parent is perfect. We all bring our childhood into the process of our parenting. This one's hard for people sometimes, but it's so true that all children love their parents regardless of the adversity they experienced. So even parents that are abusive towards their children are also loved by their children. All parents love their children and do the best they can with the skills and the resources that they have. Sometimes those are very, very limited and lead to harmful and unsafe conditions for children. But that's lack of education, not lack of love. So it's hard to take care of someone else when you don't know how to take care of yourself or when somebody hasn't taught you how to manage a particular situation. And babies and young children come with a lot of confusing and conflicting information and behaviors. So but people often say this and I and I want to challenge this thinking is that there are no books about being, you know, becoming a parent. You don't get a textbook on becoming a parent. Well, actually you do. There's tons of really great books in the world about what to expect from young children across their childhood and how to handle situations. So I'll put a plug out there for Barry Brazelton and the Touchpoint series because he's an amazing pediatrician. He's passed now, but he really was a great developmental pediatrician who outlines a lot of amazing strategies on helping parents raise young children. So we're going to take a deep dive in this series on adverse childhood experiences So this is only the beginning. I am a person who actually likes to know the end before the beginning. So what I would tell you is this, resilience mediates trauma. I'm gonna say that a lot because I believe it and I love that, that resilience mediates trauma. So if we build resilience into people's lives and children's lives from the beginning by setting up the buffering, loving, supportive conditions in environments and families and schools, then we're mediating the negative consequences of trauma. And most of us have someone in our lives who has helped us overcome things that otherwise might have really taken us under. So the other part of resilience mediates trauma is relationships mediate trauma. And having a loving and attentive, attuned caregiver is almost like having a guide through difficult times and it helps people to grow and thrive and become more resilient rather than succumb to the trauma. So our next section is called Optimism and Resilience. Because I can't just stay in the trauma, we have to find ways to be optimistic, and hello, it's called delusional optimism. And we wanna build and strengthen our resiliency, and that of others. So the first three years of life are so, so critically important the brain is developing the roadways that all the information across the lifespan will travel. So think about it, if you're if you're building the highway for the cars to go on, we haven't put the cars on the highway yet. We better have a pretty strong foundation for the highway. These roadways are built based on genetics and developmental processes, but most of these neural pathways are reinforced, making those roads into high-speed railways. So what does that mean? It means that the way a road is built in the brain is through experience and an experience that is reinforced. So if we say you're an amazing person, you can do this, I believe in you, guess what? That becomes a neural pathway that the child has access to. And so when they face a struggle or a challenge, they're able to pull for that information and say, I can do this. Like, I know that I can do this. And they're able, that's how we lead to triumph over trauma. Now, if somebody has already said forever, you're a failure, you can't do it, you're not good at anything, you're never gonna succeed, that makes triumph over trauma much, much more difficult. It's not impossible. That's the one thing I wanna say is, but it definitely puts it into a more challenging situation. I would say highways, but railways are harder to exit. Experiences are reinforced. They create high-speed railways, so we get information really quickly. And the reason I say railways is because they're harder to exit when necessary. And that's how neurodevelopment works. If we learn something pre-verbally, so before we have language, we can only explain something with a feeling or an action with our body, not our conscious mind. Because hello, we don't have a word for it yet. You know, if I'm scared, but I'm a baby and I've never learned the word scared, the only way I can explain scared is through a feeling in my body. I know it sounds woo-woo, but it's not. So let me give you an example. I'll use an ace. Let's say there's an infant in a crib while parents are in a domestic violence rage. A baby cries but gets no response. The situation is scary, just like we talked about, but the infant has no way to understand it or talk about it. It can't say, I'm scared, I'm scared. It can only cry and respond physically to this experience. So it's only a feeling for the infant. It's an experience that forms a neural pathway of bodily fear when people fight, yell, or rage. The more this happens, the stronger the response path. They cannot fight or flight, but the baby can freeze into a panic state. So let's fast forward now. When that baby is now grown up and has experienced this repeatedly in early childhood, Now this child is in a relationship and a simple disagreement can turn into one of three things. Really, it can probably turn into more than three things, but let's just stick with three. It can turn into a domestic rage, a repeat of the childhood. That's the brain's way of dealing. It's the neural pathway that it knows. Two, the baby will choose a partner who responds to situations with domestic rage. And so because that's what the baby knows, the baby knows how to I like pull that type of person in because that's the most experience that the baby has is with that type of a person. Another thing is that the person the baby who's now grown up responds with paralyzing fear because the brain can only do what the brain is wired to do during those experiences in the crib immobilizing panic. So maybe they witness something, you know, they witness some violence or they experience that in somebody and all they can do is become paralyzed with fear. So you might be saying, what in the world is she talking about? What is optimistic about this situation? Well, when we learn new things about how our mind works we can retrain our mind to respond differently, at least in a manageable and an understandable way. This also allows us to parent with the conscious awareness of the impact that trauma and loving relationships have in infants' lives and children's lives across the lifespan. The optimism is is that we're talking about these hard things and making a plan to do better, to do things on a much more conscious level. We're not doing them because they were already done to us. We're doing them because we know better. Remember Maya Angelou. I think this is so amazing. I'm so happy that our Surgeon General, Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris, was able to bring this work to California with the ACEs Aware Initiative and the funding to tune in to moving forward with a lofty mission of tackling ACEs in California. I'm optimistic that this information and the implementation for treatment and care will spread like wildfire. And I say wildfire, that's funny, not funny, because California has really been, has suffered so much from wildfire. Let's hope that this work covers as much ground All right, last but definitely not least, let's talk about the actionable takeaways. So the roots of adult behavior are unquestionably traced to infancy and early childhood. Yours, mine, and ours. We need to build our support communities with this fact at the forefront. Everyone needs to explore their childhood communication patterns heal their grief, celebrate their resilience and loving relationships, and then find a partner and find friends who make you the best you. Infants are born incredibly vulnerable and with the opportunity for significant invincibility. Let's capitalize on that. Think about it. We have babies who are born and they can't take care of themselves. They have to have somebody who comes in and takes care of them. But if we take care of them with resilience in mind, children can and do and will overcome anything and everything that's adverse in their path. That's what invincibility means. There's no way to ignore the fact that this is this is something that I just think is such a weird coincidence, that there's no way to ignore the fact that from March 2020 of this year to October 2020 of this year, we've had 260,000 people die from COVID-19. This is truly unimaginable and our brain is protecting us from the fear of that reality. However, in my world, this number translates to 50% of my city's population disappearing in the last eight months. So basically my city that has a little over half a million people in it has been reduced to half if all of those deaths were in my city alone. That's shocking and we are working very hard to figure out what to do about this COVID-19 crisis that we're living in. But we're also living in another crisis. We're currently living with the physical and mental health crisis of trauma. And now we know knowledge is power and we can begin to stop the systemic and familial cycles that are harming ourselves and our children by not addressing trauma and not building in protective buffers and leading with resilience. So these are exciting times. They're also scary times. And those two things go together. You're going to hear me talk about that as well, that the best friends are anxiety and excitement. So great things tend to happen when we're feeling a little bit anxious and scared. We're working at warp speed to develop this vaccine and stop the trauma of COVID-19. And we can handle this to reduce and eliminate trauma from people's lives. ACEs are mostly avoidable. As I said, knowledge is an empowering healer. So now's the time to change the trajectory of our health and our well being for all people. We do this by starting at the beginning of life with infants and very young children. We hold them, we love them, we learn about them, we learn about development. And that's the start of the conversation. With that, let's go lead with resilience and tackle our trauma so we can be triumphant. Keep listening. I think you're gonna enjoy this podcast series. And with that, thank you so much for listening. I love you. Now go leave a life print. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B, it's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together again thanks so much for listening to delusional optimism now go leave a life print
0: thank you for listening to this special episode of delusional optimism brought to you by saint agnes medical center and every neighborhood partnership we hope you're encouraged by dr b's message and find her tips helpful for managing life stressors and building a more resilient self for more episodes in this special series please visit saint agnes medical center's website at www.samc.com. This episode is produced and published by the editing team at Truthwork Media. Truthwork Media is a full fledged podcasting and social media agency located in South Bend, Indiana, with clients all around the world. For more information, visit them at TruthworkMedia.com. These materials and all discussions of these materials are for educational purposes only and do not constitute medical or mental health advice. The presenter is not a licensed mental health or medical service provider. If you need medical or mental health care or advice, you should contact your doctor or therapist or you can contact your insurance company for a referral. This show and all of its contents are copyright 2020 Dr. B. Leave a Life print. Reproduction or use requires written consent of Dr. Kristen Beasley.